want you I want you to open your Bible with me in uh, Revelations chapter 5. Revelations 5 and verse, uh, <clears throat> just uh, halfway through verse 9 and verse 10. Thank you, musicians. What a great job. Well, we're beginning the year. Who's in for a great year this year? Okay. Let me give you a secret. It'll be what you make of it. Huh? It'll be what you make of it. If you're going to change, it's because you decided to change. And I love it when people have decided they're going to grow and change. I want to speak, uh, I'm going to uh, share with you some things, uh, a, a series of uh, messages called The Making of a King. And we're going to look in the life of David. Uh, but I want to start it off and just share so just a, there's a couple of verses first of all. Here, this one here in, in, uh, in Revelations chapter ten, uh, 5. And it says, you have redeemed us to God. Huh? You have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. Where shall we reign? Where shall we have our dominion? Where shall we have impact? On earth. So the Bible tells us uh, of, of an event in heaven, and it says of a multitude of people, and they're declaring and thanking God. And the Bible tells us that these people have come out of every tribe, every nation, every people, every kindred, every kind of group, people group you could imagine. God has drawn them out and made them his own family. And destined, once we've become family, he says, he calls us kings and priests. You are a king. You are a priest. Now, you don't have to try and make yourself that. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God entered into you you were automatically placed into the family of God with true important privileges. Number one, the capacity to come into the presence of God on behalf of yourself, on behalf of others, to begin to intercede, pray, and receive blessing from heaven. That's everyone's privilege. While you can use that privilege, you can begin to grow and learn how to function in that area, or you can neglect it. If you neglect it, the blessings God has intended will never be yours because blessings have to be taken hold of. So what will you take hold of from God this year? The second thing he's privileged us to be is to be kings. A king is a person who has dominion. A, a king is a person who has a realm over which he rules. Now, we are called to represent God to advance his kingdom. So every one of you has a region of influence, starting with your own life. Start with your own life. You can't rule your own life. You won't be able to rule much else. But every one of us, God calls us to advance His kingdom like a king. And putting it simply, that means to reach the people around you, to shift the culture, to shift the hearts of men and women, shift young people, shift them into the kingdom of God. Everyone is called to that. Everyone is called to that. Everyone is called to that. You are called to have an influence in your generation. Now, if God called you to do it, He will provide all we need to do it. It's our responsibility to discover the heart of God and begin to learn how to take hold of it. Now, I want to show you a verse. We're going to look now at a king everyone knows, King David, but I want you to look uh, firstly in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. So we see when we get born again, we're positioned to be kings and priests. It's a language we, we don't readily take hold of, but we're called to be winners. We're called to win in life. How about that? And we're called to touch and impact and influence the people around us. Change them by the power of God. We're called to bring God from heaven into the earth, His life and power. Everyone called to do that. Okay, I want you to have a look with me in Acts chapter 13. Just two verses. Acts chapter 13. And uh, two verses, very, very familiar ones. 
but they give an insight. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the life of a man God chose to be king. Here's a man who actually shifted the whole generation he lived in. How could this, what was in this man that enabled him to arise and have such an impact? I'm called to be a king. He was called to be a king. He's got something in his life I can learn from. So I want to share with you two things just here at this point. Then we're going to look into his story and pick up one area of his life. Verse 22, he says, look at this. He said, uh, when he had removed Saul, he raised up David as a king, to whom he also gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. So you notice here's the first thing that God said. I found someone. (laughs) That other one I had was no good. He said, the one that was raised up didn't do what I needed him to do. He, he failed to realize that when I anointed him and raised him up and positioned him to be king, it was so I could get something done. What was in the heart of God was way beyond Saul's comprehension. And so in the end, because Saul just wouldn't cooperate and do what God wanted to do, God had to remove him. Bit of a tragedy, isn't it? If I won't fulfill what God called me to do, God certainly will find someone to take my place. And the difference will be that person will say yes when I said no. I don't want to be like that. I have, that's my, I have a fear of the Lord. Oh, God, I want to keep on that edge and keep growing. I, I never want for you to look and say, he wasn't doing what I needed him to do. I'll find someone else. But that's what happened to Saul. And so the Bible says, I have found a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Notice what he says. He's found him. He's been looking. God is looking for people. Why? Because his kingdom will never advance. People never get saved unless God has someone to represent him. Are you such a man? Are you such a woman? Are you a person that will represent the Lord this year? Are you a person that will make a difference this year? That's what God wants to know. He's looking for him. He's looking for people like that. The Bible says, eyes of the Lord go to and flow through the earth that he might find someone whose heart is loyal to him, that he might work powerfully on their behalf. It's not a position. It's not a title. If, do you have a heart after God? Notice what God said. I found a man that is after my heart. Or in other words, put it like this. He said, I have found someone who is desperate to find what I'm like and what I love and what I want to do in the earth. He's not a guy that's sort of sitting back and just say a little prayer and get on with his life. Here's a man who actually wants to know what's on my heart to do in the day he lives. It's all very well to look back in the Bible at all these great men, but they lived in a generation and God touched their lives. God touched David. Notice what he says. He's a man. First thing about him, he pursued the heart of God. So he wasn't just a guy who had a good idea of being a king. He was a guy with a pursuit and passion for a relationship with God, a pursuit to know what God is like. I shared with you a verse last, uh, tonight. You know, this is, these things I delight in. God delights in some things. Now, you see, there's things God delights in. There's things He actually loves. And when you do the things He loves, boy, He really starts to come and take notice of you. And you know what He loves? He loves people who will pursue Him and be in love with Him. Not just sing songs or clap, far more than that, but actually their longing is to get to know Him and understand how He thinks and what He likes, what He dislikes, and to find ways to please Him. He said, I found someone who's got a heart after me, and He will do what I want. Why? Because that's the pursuit of His life, discovering my heart. You know that's on the heart of God to see people saved? 
It's on the heart of God to see people reached for Christ. Jesus came into the world to save them. So that's the first thing we see, the pursuit of God's heart. Here's the second thing, and have a look here in uh, a little bit further down, one of the other verses, just a bit further down, same chapter, in verse, uh, I got these marked in my Bible, colored in. Verse 36, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep. So here's the second thing. Number one, he pursued the heart of God. Number two, he was a history maker. He wasn't determined. He was not content to just live an ordinary life. The overflow of his pursuit of God was that he changed a generation. He became a history maker in that he so impacted the day he lived that everything in the nation changed. The government changed. The finances changed. The social structure changed. The, 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 the way people related to God changed. Everything changed. He was a man who literally wrote history. Now, that's the kind of guy you want to take a look at and say, he's got something God liked. Was when Jesus came, Jesus was called the son of David. In other words, Jesus was identified with King David, and they, they kept calling him the son of David because David was the greatest king that Israel had ever known. And he had a heart after God, and he was a history maker, determined to change the generation he lived in. Well, you may not change a whole generation, but there's some people you can change. There's some difference you can make. So the question is, will you be a person who pursues the heart of God? Will you be a person who desires to do what God wants done through you where you are? It's not about whether you've got great opportunities or, or great positions or great things like that. Will you do what God wants you to do? And what we're going to do is we're going to have a look at David, this man who became such a great king. And uh, there are different seasons in David's life. And every one of the seasons that was in David's life was a season where God had things to teach him. Because it's all very well for you to be positioned as a king, but you actually have to grow and learn how to be a king. You actually have to learn to grow into the role. You have to learn what it is to stand up and how do I serve God and position myself that I can make a difference. David did not start out by making a difference. He started out with some other things. And we're going to look, and there are five different cities in the Bible which David was connected with. Each one of these cities represents a season in his life, a season, a distinct period in his life, when he actually was learning and growing, and he learned certain things. And what I want to do tonight is just take the first of those cities, and I want to show you what it is that was happening in his life that nobody saw. We're going to have a look at it. Go back into 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. So each of the cities that David was associated with, or each of the places, there's five places he was connected with, and each one of them was a season in his life. And uh, there were bad seasons, there were good seasons, there were different seasons. But there were some things were constant, and I want to look at those tonight. So the first thing we go and look in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we'll start it off just in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. Go, I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. So the first season in David's life, and this event takes place when he's about 17. So we're talking now the period in his life from when he's a young person up to 17. Now what was it David did that made him so distinctive? Then there'll be another season in his life. We'll share that season in another time. But this is the season in the place called Bethlehem. We know of someone else who also was born in Bethlehem and had a season there. 
His name is Jesus Christ. But David was living in Bethlehem. And when we read the story, we find out, uh, as we read through the verses in here, that David was the youngest in his family. It was a family of seven or eight, and he was the youngest in the family. He had the lowest social stature in the family. So Bethlehem was the place of obscurity, the place where no one sees you except God. Bethlehem is a place of obscurity, a place where no one sees you except God. It's a place where there are some things to learn. And if you learn the things in that place, you position yourself for the next place or season in your life. Some people never learn the lessons that are found in this place called Bethlehem. So we're going to look, not at many verses, just going to pick up a few aspects of his life. And I want to talk to you about what he was like up to that age of 17. And uh, this is where, how many people about seven, under 17 or 17 and under now? Great, you'll qualify then, eh? How many are over 17? Oh my goodness, whoa. Okay, still not too late. <laughs> you may have to go back to being 17. <laughs> you may have to go back to being young. Okay, but this is, uh, there are three things that he learned in that season. There are three things he learned in that season. Let's just pick up a couple of things or a couple of verses about it. Let's, verse 11. Now, what happened was that Samuel now went to the, the little town of Bethlehem, and he searched out the man called Jesse, and he said, Jesse, we're going to have a feast at your house. I want you to bring all your sons here. And, uh, then, and he didn't tell him why. So he brought all the sons together, had a great big feast, and uh, he brought all the sons together, and then he asked them all to pass by him. So he got each of the sons. He got Eliab, the first one. Boy, he was a good-looking guy. He got him to go past him. The Lord said, no, not that one. He, he said, man, this has got to be the one. He's so looking, looks good. This has got to be the one. He's going to be the new king, the oldest in the family, good-looking guy. That's the one. And God said this in, in, in verse 7. He said, this is not the one. He said, because man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. He says, I see not as man sees, I see the heart. The problem Eliab had was an issue of pride. He felt himself better than everyone else. And so they brought each of the sons in front of the prophet, and the prophet's thinking, man, this is the one. This is the one. No. This is the one. No. This is the one. No. Finally, all seven have gone by, and there's nothing. He says, what a mystery. I wonder if I missed it. And then he said, there wouldn't be another son in the family, would there? They said, oh, you don't worry about him. He's out there in the field when I look after the sheep. No good in him. Don't worry about him. He said, no, I want you to bring this young man to me. Let's have a look. He says in verse 11, and Samuel said to Jesse, are, there any, are all the young men here? And he said, no, there remains the youngest, and he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to him, send and bring him. We will sit down. We will not sit down until he comes here. And they sent and brought him in, and he was red-haired with bright eyes and good-looking. Now, that's all right, isn't it, eh? And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. That's the one. Now, get this. His family considered him to be the least, the lowest, and the youngest. And everyone knows the youngest, either the pet of the family or the one they all pick on. Now, in this case, with David, David got the worst job in the whole family. The family was quite poor. The family only had a few sheep, and we know that because uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, it says there are only a handful of sheep. There are only a few sheep. And so because they, didn't have, uh, they weren't a wealthy family and they couldn't employ someone to look after the sheep, then they gave the job, the lowest job, the dirtiest job to, to young David. 
So this is some things we find about David. We found he was the youngest in the family, lowest in position. No one thought anything of him. No one thought he was important. They all walked over him. In fact, when there was an important feast, he wasn't even invited. He wasn't even included in the spiritual things. There he was. And what was he doing then? Well, he had just a few sheep. And, and looking after sheep was the lowest of jobs. It was a menial job. It was a very lonely job. You were just out there, and you had a group of sheep you had to look after. And so they would ha- he would have to make sure the sheep didn't wander off. He'd have to lead them and look after them. That was his full-time job, looking after a handful of sheep. Full-time employment. What do you do all day looking after a handful of sheep? What do you do when you've got a boring, menial job? Eh? What do you do in that kind of time? See? And see, the thing is, he had a tremendous, he developed some qualities. He developed three qualities in that time. And you've got to realize that in that season when no one notices you and you're just doing the menial tasks that no one even cares about, in fact, it's so dirty, it's the cleaning the toilets, it's the washing up outside. Think what he had to do. He had to get the sheep, he had to dag the sheep. Now, they didn't have these fancy buzzers that shared them electrically. They had little clippers. So he'd have to get the sheep and have to clip off all the dags. Had to clean them all up. He had to get all the, 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 the bugs out of them. He, had to look, he actually had to lay his life down and looking after them. He actually proved himself faithful in small manners. While everyone else is doing the important jobs, he's got the least jobs, and he is qualifying himself to be a king. He qualified himself in three ways. Here's the first way. Number one, he developed a devotion and a passion for the Lord. We know that. He says in Psalm 27:4, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. In the same Psalm, he says, you know, at your, in your presence is joy, fullness of joy, at your right hand of pleasures evermore. How can you write that stuff? You've got to have experienced it. See? So he, he begins to say so the first thing he did was he developed a heart to seek after God. So what did he do? Well, he played a guitar or some kind of a musical instrument. And so day after day, as he did this work, menial tasks, looking after the sheep, when no one is watching, David is developing a heart to worship God, a heart to pursue God. People would say, well, we feel sorry for you with that job. He's saying, no, I'm not sorry I've got that job because this is a great chance for me to pursue what's the delight of my heart a relationship with God. So even though he had the menial task, he's developing a heart to worship God. He's learning how to worship. He's learning how to express his heart to God. He's learning how to express feelings to God. He's learning how to express his concerns. He's, imagine being there out there just night after night, day after day, you're all alone. There's no one to talk to except sheep. You understand? It's a place where no one sees what's going on in your life. And in that place where no one sees what's going on in your life, there are some things that happen. Number one, you can develop a heart to love God because no one really recognizes you anyway. And one of the things that will be a secret for you becoming great is you learn to have a love for God and find your life in Him, not in the job you're doing. And some people, they look at the little jobs and say, oh, no, 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 I want something bigger and better than that. Listen, just celebrate the little jobs. Celebrate the little things. Give yourself to the little things. And while you're doing it, develop a heart to worship God and be grateful to Him. So David developed a heart that just loved the Lord, that worshipped Him, that enjoyed His presence. And I can imagine over a period of time, him gradually discovering the anointing of God coming on him as he learned to worship. 
He learned what it was to experience God's presence. He learned how to play chords that would open his heart and open heaven, and the presence of God would come upon him. He learned how to passionately express himself. The whole Psalms are written out of what the overflow of David's relationship with the Lord. They express feelings. They express what he was facing. They express his life. He didn't just write them when he was older. He actually developed a worshiping heart when he was a young person. And you can't have anyone do that for you. That's the one thing you can do yourself, is develop a heart that is passionate towards God and learns how to be alone and worship Him and encounter Him. When I started out in ministry, uh, I was just literally thrust into it. I had no training. I had less than any of you here have, really, in terms of teaching in the Word of God. The one thing I did have, I had a piano accordion. (laughs) And I learned how to worship God. I learned how to just come and spend hours until I learned how to unlock my heart and spirit and just begin to worship the Lord and begin to feel His presence. Sometimes Joe and I would just have a fire going in Danny and no TV, and we just pl- I'd begin to play the music, and the presence of God would come. You can learn in the place where no one sees what's going on, you can learn to bring the presence of God. And uh, I, the Lord spoke to me and, and led me out of uh, teaching in a public school. We had hundreds of people, and I had 25 kids to look after, a little flock. And I was saying, well, Lord, I want to do this, I want to do this. He said, no, this is the place of training. This is the place where you learn. This is the place where I teach you. It's just with these young children, equivalent to working in the kids' church all the time. And what I learned to do was learn how to get before God and to bring His presence down from heaven around my life till I could feel His presence and bring His presence wherever I went. Now, you have to learn how to do that. You have to learn how to do this. People can teach you, but you've got to learn how to do that and value that if I've got God coming on my life, it doesn't really matter if no one knows what I think or doing or whatever's happening. And actually, at that point, I came to a place where, Lord, if you want me to be here for the rest of my life with just this, I'm really happy. Now, that is a great place to be where you're happy to be in love with the Lord and positioned where He wants you. You are preparing yourself for enlargement. So the first thing was a devotion to the Lord. You can learn that now. You're in a church that teaches how to encounter and experience God. Why don't you make it the passion of your heart to learn how to pray in such a way you begin to feel God's presence coming around your life. You become a carrier of the presence of God. We know that David was able to do that because shortly after he went uh, from this place to the next place and he was with the king, he could play his instrument and the presence of God would come and demons would flee. So we know In that secret place where no one saw him, he was developing his personal life with God. Now, many of you, no one knows about you yet. You're not known. You're you're a king in hiding. You're one that God has said, this is one of my kings. But you've got the responsibility in that place of obscurity to be developing a heart that worships God and loves God and begins to discover what he likes. You know, he said, I'm the Lord who delights in loving kindness and justice and mercy. So God loves mercy. He's not harsh on us. He loves mercy. So David, if you look at his life, was a man who knew the mercy of God. So even though he did outrageous things at times, you realize he not only committed adultery and murdered a man, he made a foolish mistake that cost 70,000 men their lives. And still, he was a man who could sing of the mercy of God. See, you've got to learn how to connect with God yourself personally. So number one, the first key in the place of obscurity is to develop a heart and a passion for God and to be happy with Him. 
content in him, secure in him. This is the first lesson. Second lesson we see that he learned was the area of faithfulness. You see, notice here in uh, 1 Samuel 17 and verse 28, 1 Samuel chapter 17, and uh, David goes down to the battle, and uh, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, why have you come down here, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. You've come to see the battle. But actually, David was faithful. And so the second thing he learned was he learned faithfulness in small things, in the menial tasks where he was unrecognized and despised. He's learned to be faithful. Uh, that's, a, that's something that we can, we can choose to learn. You know, there's one thing you can be unlimited in, and that is faithfulness. Faithfulness in small tasks. Faithfulness in small tasks means when you, when you give your word, you keep it. When you do a job, you do it well. When you uh, have a commitment, you fulfill your commitment. Now, you see, you've got to, you can't just learn that from the Bible. You learn that by taking on a responsibility. And this is one of the uh, reasons that we call people unashamedly and challenge them to become connected and committed and involved in some area of the church life and ministry because you, somewhere you have to learn what it means to be faithful. You have to learn what it means if there's a little task, you do the little task. If you're given a little job, you turn up on time, you turn up and do it. There's no excuses. You make sure it happens. This is what David learned. He learned to be faithful with the few that he had. And God was preparing him. In Psalm 78, it says that God took him from the flocks and made him shepherd over a nation, and he led them with integrity of heart and with skillfulness of hands. In other words, he developed, while he was a young man, he developed integrity, giving his word and keeping his word. He developed skill. That means understanding, knowing what to do. So while no one was looking, he was learning something. The Lord spoke to me when I was working in a Christian school with only 25 uh, plus kids, the Lord said to me, this is where you're going to learn the things that will be a part of the ministry for all the rest of your life. So how did David qualify himself to be a king? Well, one of the ways he qualified was he passionately pursued the heart of God, and God was so impressed, he said, I like that boy, I want to help him, I'm going to do something great with his life. He knows me, he knows what I like, he knows what I want, he's willing to do it. Second thing is, he was faithful. There was a faithfulness in his life given a small task. So I wonder what you're like in your faithfulness. In Luke 16, 10, it says this. It says, a man who's faithful in small things will be faithful in great things. If you can't be faithful in the small things, you certainly can't be relied on in the big things. How many would love God to entrust to you something significant? Well, we'd all like that. How many like to be promoted? Well, we'd all like that. But listen, promotion comes when there's faithfulness at the current level. If you can't be faithful in one task, then you're not faithful at all. So it's unlimited your possibility to be faithful. Now think about the small things you can do at home. Think about your responsibilities at home. God watching all of that stuff. Think about the responsibilities you have in your life. If there's bills to pay, pay the bills on time. You give a commitment, keep the commitment. If you can't keep it, you still keep it. Unless you negotiate your way out by arrangement. That's integrity. These are things that you can do. You got a little job, you do it really well, as though it's the most important job in the whole world. You got to make a plate of scones for some outing, make the best ones you've ever made. Make them big, make them great, put plenty of butter, plenty of jam on them, so people go, whoa, look at that. You see, now you think, well, making scones isn't important. Oh, yes, it is. Every job, yeah, whipped cream and cream, yeah, that's right, we need more of that. 
You can say, can you see what's coming on here? <laughs> but listen, but it's faithfulness. It's understanding faithfulness. You know, the Bible tells us everyone will proclaim how great they are, but a faithful person is really hard to find. It's really hard to find people who will give their word and keep it, who will actually take a small task and do it diligently. You know what happens? When you find a person who is functioning faithfully in a little task, you can't leave them there. You can't. They're too good for that little task. You've got to bring them up. And when they function faithfully in that task, you can't leave them there. You've got to bring them up further. That's how real promotion takes place. And so we see that God said these words. He said, I have, found, I have seen among the children of Jesse a son, a king. He saw a king. Now look at that. What did God see? Well, we, the, the, we look around and we see this is just a young little red-faced boy, red-haired boy with bright eyes and smiling, plays the guitar, sits out there in the country just wasting his time. And what kind of use is he? So when we have the party and call the prophet in, they don't even consider to bring him in. But God said, I have seen a king. What did he see? He saw a heart devoted to worship him. He saw a man who was faithful. See, so the place of obscurity, the place where no one sees you, no one knows you, you're not important, no one knows about you, just another face in the crowd, that's the place where you learn to develop a heart that seeks God and faithfulness in little matters. So you put your hand up, say, count me in, I'll do this job and I will be there and I'll do it well. You are preparing yourself for big things. The third thing that you develop in that place of obscurity is you develop courage in the face of conflict. You develop courage in the face of conflict. I want you to have a look and go with me, and we'll just finish here uh, in uh, 1, Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Here it is, and verse uh, 34. Uh, verse 33, Saul said to David, you're not able to go and fight the Philistine. You're a young boy, and he's a man of war. And David said to Saul, now, your servant, notice this language, your servant, he said he's been serving in secret. He calls himself a servant. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. And your servant killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he's defied the armies of the living God. And the Lord, the Lord, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear... He will deliver me from the house of the Philistine. They've got to realize now that David faced conflict in the little job. Now here he's got just a handful of sheep. And one of the things that was common there was there were wild animals would come. And one of the roles of the shepherd was not just to care for the sheep, look after the sheep, uh, uh, clean them up, keep them looking good, debug them, do all the dirty jobs. It wasn't just that. This is what he also had to do. If something come against it to kill it, he had to do something. The Bible says if Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep, but a hireling runs away when he sees the wolf coming because he's just a hireling. He's in it for what he can get out of it. He says, but the good shepherd lays his life down. Now notice what David did. In the place where he was serving, there was conflict, a lion and a bear. Now, I don't ever thought about it. They've ever been by the zoo and stood outside a lion's cage. Yeah, we read this and we think, oh, a lion and a bear. Yeah, David licked him. Listen. Go one day and stand outside a zoo and go outside the lion's cage and get as near as they'll allow you to get there. And then we're going to look into that lion. I remember doing that. I began to walk up and down. I realized he was running up and down with me. And so I kept doing it. And he would come back and then I'd do this. 
And I looked, I thought, there's only bars separating me from death. And I could see the lion was looking at food. I was looking, he was looking at a meal and I was looking at a lion. Now, I don't, it says, the lion came against the lamb and David rose up. Now, to hit the lion, you either got to throw a stone from a long way off, which is possibly what he did. But we know he got into personal hand-to-hand combat because he said, when it rose against me, I took him by the beard and I killed him. That's personal combat with a lion. Now, that's no mean feat. How on earth did he get the courage to do that? I think it came out of his relationship with God and the anointing he tapped into. Now, listen, the call upon David's life was to wage war. Where did he learn to wage war? It wasn't, it wasn't all these years later. He was learning when he was 17. By the time he was 17, he'd physically got stuck into a lion and killed it. He'd physically laid into a bear and killed it. Now, I don't even thought what a bear does and how close you've got to get to a bear. A bear's got mighty paws that can just sweep you away like that. It's not a, an easy task to kill a bear hand to hand. Think about it. Just think about it. So what would you and I feel? This is what we'd feel. I think I'll just explain to Dad that we lost a couple of the sheep. Wouldn't you feel that way? Fear would grip you. I think Dad, look, Dad, you've got to understand it was a lion. You know, I had to look after myself. But you see, there was something developing in David that was greater. It was an opportunity for him to prove and develop courage in the face of fearsome conflict. Now, you may not have to face a lion or a bear. But the Bible likens the devil to a lion coming to roar against you and intimidate you. And I'm sure even at your young age, you have lions and bears in your life. Lions try and intimidate you. Bears try and crush you. Have you thought of circumstances, situations where you face intimidation, something frightens you, where you face being crushed by words that people spoke, by things people have done, uh, the way people have treated you? Do you have courage growing in your heart to arise and defeat those things? He said, the Lord delivered these things. The Lord delivered me out of the hand of the lion and the bear. In other words, he had a deep trust in the Lord, and he he grew an ability to be able to face things and conquer them. That's what God's wanting and teaching us to do. Now, for you, perhaps the thing you've got to face is just a conflict with a person. Maybe you've got to put something right that was was wrong. Maybe you've got to face something that was really difficult. This year, you'll face some lions, you'll face some bears, you'll face things that will challenge you, frighten you, but will you have a testimony, the Lord delivered me out of them? You'll never be significant in a public arena until first you've developed in private. And see, in the place that was private, David did these things. One, he developed a devotion to the Lord and an ability to draw the presence of God around his life. Two, he developed faithfulness in small things. He became faithful in the little matters. And three, he developed courage in the face of conflict. These are things that kings do. You are already born a king. You were born again into a royal family. You're born to make a difference with your life. But are you developing a relationship with the Lord? Are you developing faithfulness? Are you developing courage in the face of conflicts? Or do you quit when there's conflict? You give up the little jobs and your prayer life is just temporary. Listen, this is the time and the season. David served his generation. What does that mean? He was a man who rose up 
and he impacted the generation he lived by the life he lived, you're called to do the same. It'll be different for every one of us. For some, they'll be king in a business area. Some, it'll be in a school. Some, it'll be uh, in the area of, uh, uh, of government. Some, it'll be in the area of different areas, education. There's all kinds of different places we can learn to be a king. But every one of us is a king. A king in training. God already saw you and said, there's a person I like. God already reached out and brought you into his family. You now have to do what David did and develop the qualities of a king within so the Lord can move you to the next place. For the majority here, you're in the place of obscurity. That's the place to learn those lessons. Why don't you make a decision now, this year, this is what I'm going to develop. I'm going to develop a relationship with the Lord. I'm going to develop faithfulness. Now, you can't just do that on your own. You've got to have someone give you a job that you see through. And thirdly, I'm going to develop courage. When issues come up, I'll face them. I won't run away like I've run away before. I'm going to trust God to bring me through it. Come on, let's just close our eyes right now.